the title of today's message is Raised with Him. So please turn your Bibles to the book of Colossians in chapter number 3. Um, this is sermon number 9 of, of our series. And you say, well, I don't even remember sermons 1 through 8. You can go on the website, and um, on the website you can go under sermons there, and you can just find this particular theme. This is the theme that we're doing um, throughout the school holidays. We started in, I think, in January, and um, we did a few there, and, and um, we've been um, discussing from the book of Colossians what our identity is. It's life-changing. It's, it's, it's a tremendous book. I want to encourage you to read through the book of Colossians during the school holidays. It is an easy read. Um, as far as like it's only um, um, a few chapters and, and you'll be able to, to get through it quite easily. And we're in chapter number three now. Um, and over the next three weeks, we'll be covering chapters number three. And as I was delving into this, and I'll be preaching for the next three weeks. That's just a warning. <laughs> and as, as I was delving into this, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I could get four or five sermons out of this. But, um, but I, I think it's going to be a blessing for you as it has been for me. Um, today we'll be talking about being raised with Christ and what that means. Um, the Apostle Paul reminds us that in Jesus Christ, our identity, who we actually are, is complete. It's sufficient. The world is filled, isn't it, with, with philosophies and various rituals and, and everything like this to try to, people are trying to find themselves and who they are. However, in Jesus Christ, we find our sufficiency. The Apostle Paul just drives that home to the Colossians. Every spiritual need that we have is met in Jesus Christ because he is all the fullness of the Godhead. It's found in Christ. That's in chapter number two. In fact, in chapter number two, he says in verse number 10, we are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Um, Jesus Christ is sufficient because of a couple of reasons. Number one is who he is. And um, I'm kind of giving you a review of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. Um, last school holidays, that is. The last time I think I preached this was back in April. Had to dig up the notes. Had to look at it and remind myself of what we were doing here. And he, he, what he was, he, he was um, he's God in the flesh. And it's because of not just who he is, but folks, I want you to understand, it's because of what he did for us. Never ever get tired of the gospel. Jesus Christ came, he took his, our sins upon himself, he conquered death, he, and, he, and he paid the price, the sacrifice, it was acceptable to God as payment for our sin. This is elemental stuff, isn't it? This is the stuff that you and I were saved for. And the Bible tells us that this gospel, this good news is to be proclaimed around the whole planet. Those who have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are identified with him and identified in him. There's a lot of people who say, well, I'm trying to follow Christ. The Apostle Paul is going to challenge us. And I think this morning's message may challenge you a little bit as to, to what this identity actually means. It's not symbolic. It's not just a picture. It's a reality. And if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, you know what I'm talking about. So now the Apostle Paul is going to give us some vital instructions on how we are to live 
practically in this Christian life. Today we're going to be talking about being raised with Christ and, and the implications of that. And we're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about the renewal that we have in Christ. I have two, two other R's. I've been working on this. And the renewal in Christ. And that's when it gets down to the changed life. Keep reading in chapter 3 and you'll, you'll discover what I mean. And then also the relationships that we have with one another. How that all goes because of who we are in Jesus Christ. So today's principle is this. In Christ, I have a different way to live. Jesus Christ makes a difference in our life. Not just where we're going to spend eternity after we die, but how we are living even today. So let's read about this. So turn to the book of Colossians, chapter number 3, and let's look at verses 1 through 4. And that's the passage we're going to be looking at today, just verses 1 through 4. The Apostle Paul says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Notice that this statement is a statement that we call in theology, we call this positional truth. This is who you are in Christ. It's who the believer is in verse number one. But notice here also, it says here, Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. The Apostle Paul is indicating here that Jesus Christ, even as I'm speaking right now, is in glory and he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And the Bible tells us that that means that he has the prominence he has the glory. He has, you know, there should be a slide for that. He has the prominence. He has the glory. He has the honor. And he has the authority. I want you to get that. I, I think that's in your notes as well. <laughs> Good one. He has the prominence. He has the glory. He has the honor. And he has the authority. Sink that in. That's what I want you to get. If, when you walk out of here today, I want you to think about that today. That if he has all those different aspects, he's prominent. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul has been talking about from chapters 1 and chapters 2. And now he's getting to chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting in the place of prominence, in the place of glory, in the place of honor, and in the place of authority. That's why we worship. Professor Curtis Vaughn taught theology for 45 years in the South, in Southwestern um, Seminary. And he's been with the Lord for a while. But he, he said this. He said, see to it that our interests are centered in Christ. That our attitudes, our ambitions, and the whole, our whole outlook on life are molded by our relationship to him for 45 years he taught that and he never grew tired of it after 45 years he retired at the age of 72 something like that and he went back for a further five years to keep teaching it 
because he had the energy and he kept he wrote so many books and, and he wrote a, a, a series on, on Colossians. And that's the conclusion that he came up with. So see to it that all of our interests are centered in Jesus Christ. That's pretty radical, isn't it? He says that our attitudes, our ambitions, our whole outlook on life become molded by the relation that we have in him. So today I want to break this passage down, verses 1 to 4, in two different very easy things to remember. Number one is, the Apostle Paul gives us instructions for the heavenly life. Instructions for the heavenly life. That's found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And then in your notes there, um, also we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul doesn't leave it there. After he gives us instructions, and that should be enough. We should all just have the instructions, but now he's going to give us some incentives. He's going to show us why we should be living this heavenly life. Why should we should be seeking to have Christ as the center of our life, where our ambitions and our attitudes and the whole outlook that we have are molded by our relationship with him. And that's found in verses 1, 3, and 4. So number one is Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the instructions for a heavenly life. If you're like me, I like to have instructions spelt out. When my wife gives me the instructions for the week <laughs> and tells me what to do, I, I, I said, spell it out. Because you're, you're going to have to tell me not what I'm going to need to know, the, the, the lines of action, the steps that I need to take. And the Apostle Paul is going to tell us this. In fact, that's what chapter 3 is all about. But if you don't understand why we're taking those steps of action, then you're, you're going to miss the whole thing. You're going to become a legalist. And, no, and that's not what he wants. So he's going to give us two instructions. Number one is, he says to seek heavenly things. And number two is, set your mind on heavenly things. Let's look at that passage again. I'm going to read that passage several times today because I want that to be in our hearts and our minds. He says, if then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Note there, um, I'm, uh, as we look at the seek, look at the word if at the very beginning. The word if is not a doubt. It's not a statement of doubt. It is a statement uh, since you were raised in Christ. It's a carry-on from chapter number 2 where he's talking about that we've died with Christ from the basic principles of the world. He says, because of this, we've died from the practices of the world. And he says here in, 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 in verse 23 in, in, in chapter 2, he says, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom, the things of the world, in self-imposed religion, in false humility and neglect of the body, but they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If then you were raised in Christ, seek those things which are above. This is a theme that Jesus Christ had. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Christ um, um, opens that package up and he begins to show us how we're not to be looking at just the things of this world. We're to be having a heavenly point of view. Now, Brett, I did not ask permission to do this illustration from you but i'm going to use you as an illustration and if you don't like it just smile at me and beat me up later okay <laughs> but yeah try 
um, two weeks ago, you went, you went um, hot air ballooning. And he sent me a photograph of it, and I was going to use it today, but I didn't get permission from him, so I'm just going to tell the story. And we can cut it out later if you want to. But he went up to Northam, and, um, and um, he went hot air ballooning up there, and he sent me the most incredible pictures. Northam doesn't look that good from the ground. <laughs> it, it looks much better from the air, especially when you're 5,000 feet in the air. You have a whole different viewpoint a whole different viewpoint of what the terrain is. You can see in front. You can see behind. You can get an idea of the lay of the land when you're up there. When you and I become believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we've died with him, that we've died to the old life, to the world. And now we have, we've been raised with Christ and we're going to be looking at things totally differently. And that's the message that Jesus gave. When Jesus was speaking at the Sermon on the Mount, he said this in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. He says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then look down to, if you're in that passage, look down to verse number 33, the one that many of us have memorized. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God, he says, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. That's where your affections are going to be also. And so it gives us the instruction to begin to seek those things. What are you doing here this morning? You're seeking heavenly things. You're, you're looking at life now, even if it's just for a few moments here, from a different perspective, aren't you? And in fact, you take this with you and as you go to work tomorrow morning and as you begin to make your plans and, your, and, and even your holiday plans and all these different things, you're looking at it as differently uh, as, as, as um, a person who rose from the dead changes his whole aspect of what he thinks about for the future. And so he goes from there and he's going to give us the second instruction. And the second instruction is to set your mind on heavenly things. So we've been seeking heavenly things. And after we begin to study God's word and you, and you get involved in a connect group or you get involved in the, the Friday night Bible study, I'm throwing in a couple opportunities for you. You get involved with, with working with the youth groups and you're in the Bible and you're looking at things. You know what the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's going to do a work in your life through God's word. And from that seeking, you're going to, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And he says here, you're going to set your mind on heavenly things. So that's the second instruction that we have. So Christian, if you and I are living for Christ, and if we're growing, we're doing it because of these two things. We're seeking, and we've decided to set our mind on heavenly things. Verse number two says that. Set your mind on things above, and he gives the contrast, not on things of the earth. To set your mind is to where you place your affections. 
The things that you love are the things you think about. Please turn to 1 John chapter number 1. It's at the end of the New Testament. The Apostle John, um, later on in life, he, he's an older man now, and he's writing three little letters. And he writes these three. And listen to what John says. He gives us a warning and an instruction about this in chapter number 2 of 1 John in verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He says, for all that is in the world, and he names um, three different things here, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. Now, why is this so important? He says in verse 17, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. What he's indicating here is that um, the way that we're looking in life, we must live here. The Lord is it will bless our, our earthly life for sure. But our affections aren't here. Our affections are somewhere else. And there's so many verses that we could, we could look at because we see that example after example of people who are living the life here with a greater hope. All that is in the world, he says, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not coming from the Father, but is of the world. You know, I, I think it's no coincidence that um, last month in many of the Western world nations, they celebrate what they call Pride Month. And um, unless you've been living under a stone somewhere, you, it, it's been everywhere. I got a, a thing from my bank um, um, advertising and saying, you know, if you're, if you're part of Pride, and they named all the different letters, and then they put the plus afterwards, and they say, if you have any of this, we want to work with you. We want to work with you. You got to stand up for Pride. Isn't that interesting? Because... The Bible says that every way of a man is right in his own eyes, Proverbs 21 says. But the Lord weighs the hearts. It says in verse number 4 of Proverbs 21, and there's so many others, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. And of course, we all remember Proverbs 16 and verse 18, pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. And so when we are not to love the world. And we're not to have that sort of, that, that, that sort of proud of what we're doing in the world. We're, he says here we're going to be putting our, setting our minds on heavenly things. Why? Because we've been risen with Christ. Let's dig a little bit deeper into this. Please turn your, uh, in your Bibles to the book of James. And we're just going to dig a little bit deeper here. In chapter number 4 of James. Because as, as we find out, and if you just observe, just observe a little bit around the planet, you see things are actually getting worse <laughs> outside. We have peace. We have the peace that passes all understanding as we are setting our hearts and our minds on the things above. But the ones who are setting their minds on the things of the world, i.e. the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, Here's what James says is happening. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. He says, where do wars and fights come from among you? 
Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Isn't that interesting? You don't have it because you're not asking for it. When you ask for something, and what he's indicating here is prayer, when you ask for something, you're actually humbling yourself and you're seeking first the kingdom of God. But he says, but you do not have because you do not ask. And then verse number three, you ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. He says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? That James is saying here. So because we are raised from our spiritual death with Christ, and because Jesus Christ is in the place of prominence, glory, honor, and authority, therefore the heavenly realm is where we set our minds. It's our affections. And if our values are right, our lives will be productive for the glory of God. Now that is the statement that the Apostle Paul, that is the, 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 what the Apostle Paul is setting us up for for the rest of this chapter. And so therefore, as we, as we look at this, and, and we see the instructions to seek the heavenly things, to set your mind on earthly things. I'm reminded again of, the, of that quote, see to it that our interests are centered in Christ, that our attitudes, ambitions, and whole outlook on life are molded by our relation to him. Now, that should be enough. He, sh- he, sh- he could have stopped in verse number two and said, okay, now go and do it. But he knows his audience. He knows people like me. We have to have an incentive. You know, what is it? Why do we do this? Why should we do this? And so he gives us three different incentives for the heavenly life. And as you meditate on this and as you think about this, you're going to see that this is so, so good. He says, first of all, he says, it's because Christ Jesus is your life. He is your life. And number two, and because he is your life, you are secure in Christ. And because you're, he's your life and you're secured in Christ, there's one more thing that's going to happen. He's going to have a glorious return. So we have the incentive of the glorious return of Jesus Christ. Let's unpack that for the next few moments. Number one is Christ is your life. As I indicated earlier, this is not merely living for Jesus. This isn't merely trying to follow him. This is actually Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And this understanding, and when you have this understanding that Jesus Christ is indwelling in you, and the Bible says that um, that when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and the Holy Spirit guides you and leads you into all truth. We'll be looking at a passage here in just a moment. When you see that, you understand the power that he's talking about, the purpose that you have in your life. 
Let's go back to Colossians 3 and let's look at verses 1, 3, and 4 once again. He says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And drop down to verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, that's quite an incentive, isn't it? We're not battling life on our own. In fact, we aren't on our own at all because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We have been redeemed with a price. And this, second ins- this first incentive is that Jesus Christ is actually your life. We're going to be looking at that later on in just a moment. But, but the second incentive is because he's our life, he's also our security that's closely aligned together. And so this security is this wonderful position that we enjoy that Jesus Christ is because it's, it's clearly stated here and it's implied all through the New Testament and look at verse number three. This is, this is great. Your life is hidden with Christ. The word hidden with Christ there in the Greek really goes back to, to a, 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 a word picture here of like a treasure that's buried. If you have treasure, the, 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 you, you don't just leave it out there where anybody can, can, can destroy it. In fact, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you put it here on the earth, your treasure on the earth, you're going to have people are going to steal it. It's going to have moth and rust and all the corruption. And no, we put it in heavenly places. But in this also, when it says here that it's hidden in Christ, it's like burying your treasure and knowing where it is and keeping it secure for another purpose. So we see here that the purpose that God has in our salvation is more than what we're thinking here on this planet. It's much, much more. And listen to Paul's exhortation to the Ephesian church. You're going to see this very much. So turn in your Bibles, if you will. It's a rather long passage, but I want you to see this. Ephesians chapter 1, verses uh, verses 3 to verse number 14. Ephesians chapter number 1, verses 3 to 14. And I'm going to read this passage, and I want you to pick out a couple things here as I'm reading it. Um, in your minds, or just, just have a look at Look at the terms, who we are in him. There's four or five different places we're going to see this. Verse number three. The Apostle Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, look at this, in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things 
in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance of, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Oh yes, we that's security. <laughs> we are in Christ. We see here five times the word in him. Uh, we see another place in himself. We see in Christ with this knowledge that we have here as we are setting our mind on heavenly things. This is this is part of it. We see here. I'm convinced that we can handle anything life throws at us. Anything. If we're in Christ. Listen to how this motivated the Apostle Paul when he was going through problems because the gospel is the power of God he saves us. He calls us to a holy calling according to his purpose and grace. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 1, in, in, in verse number um, um, 12, the Apostle Paul writes this. He, he's talking about there in, in the previous verses all the issues he's going through because of the gospel. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. I want you to understand something. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossian church, he was in prison. He wasn't writing in some, some ivory tower somewhere where people were serving him and, he, and everything was going well. He, he was suffering for the sake of the gospel. And as he's writing to young Timothy and he's explaining to him what the ministry is going to be all about, he indicates here, nevertheless, he says, although I'm suffering these things, nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. Why is it? Because you think it's going to get better tomorrow? No, he says, because I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that he's able to keep the things that I've committed to him against that day the future day you see he is seeking those things which are above he's setting his heart his mind on the things of god not on the things of the earth and the apostle paul says that isn't just for him he wants that for you and me as well so christ is your life you're secure in christ look at colossians chapter 3 verses 3 and 4 again for you died and your life is hidden with christ in god now look at this, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, if you hadn't read anywhere else in the Bible and you saw verse number four, you're going to say, hang on, what did he just say there? He says that this life that we're having here in Jesus Christ is actually going to appear. Jesus Christ is coming back again. And then he says this, he says that we will also appear with him in glory. The Bible says that there um, is appointed unto man 
wants to die. And after this, the judgment. But it continues to say that those who are in Christ now look at it differently because we're looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ. The glorious return of Jesus Christ is the incentive that we have. You imagine just living your life following good, um, uh, just trying to follow a good moral code that Jesus gave for us and then just dying. And you would say, well, what was the point of all that? No, no, it's so much more than that. It's so many verses that we could look up, but we're just going to look at two. <laughs> Ephesians, uh, Philippians chapter number three. Turn to that, if you will. Philippians chapter three, or it'll be up there on the screen, in verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul says here? He says, our citizenship is in heaven. That, that, that's where we belong. And he says here that we're eagerly waiting for that Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and here's what he's going to do for you and me. He says in verse number 21, he will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. This isn't poetic language. In many places in the book of um, uh, Corinthians and in other different places, the Thessalonians, he's talking about how our physical bodies will actually be changed. And so this, this is a great transformation. Uh, it's one I'm actually, the older I'm getting, the one I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> you know, it, that gives us a new perspective. It gives us a different way to live. And that's what we're talking about here today. We are looking at the way the Christian is supposed to be living here. And we live from a different perspective. And so therefore, our lives will be different. And as you read the rest of the chapter number three, you're going to see how practical that actually gets in in the fact that we're renewed and what he's doing in our life and in the way we interact with one another and also the way we interact with our families and with our employees and employers so he's not just talking about um, having our head in the clouds he's talking about that we're looking for something much much greater that creates a different atmosphere here while we're living in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul sums it up again in, in these views. He goes, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. All these incentives. Jesus Christ is your life. You are secure in Jesus Christ. The glorious return of Jesus Christ is one that we are eagerly waiting for. So therefore, we seek Jesus Christ. We set our mind and our affections on him. So let me ask you some questions. Because in Christ, you and I will definitely, definitely, we've been commanded to live differently because of who he is and because of who you are in Christ. So let me ask you a couple questions here. And I want you to reflect on this. I want you to think to yourself, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Is this the Jesus that you've received as your Lord and Savior? Is Jesus Christ your life? 
when he returns again, will he be return, returning with you or returning for judgment against you? Let's do some life evaluating. If there's one thing that this whole service has been talking about is our identity. And as we open up and we say, where's our identity come from? We need to get our identity uh, from what the Bible tells us, not from what the world is saying. So church, I want to encourage you in that. How are your interests centered in Jesus Christ? Let that be a driving force this week as you begin to think about this. You know, how is my interest focused on Christ and what is that doing with the way that I handle my finances with the way that I handle my marriage with the way that I have a relationship with with my co-workers and, and, and so forth how are your attitudes how are the things that you your ambitions and your whole outlook on life how is that molded by your relation with him in other words your relation to Jesus Christ gives you a new attitude and he's going to talk about these things he gives you new ambitions it in fact gives you a whole new heavenly point of view outlook on life stand with me uh, stand with me if you will and as we get ready to sing our closing song i just want you to spend a moment here and ask god to search your heart you may remember that in that passage there, one of the passages, he says here that as we set our affections on things above, the Lord actually searches our hearts. And as we go to the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer in just a moment, say, Lord, Lord, I, I, I want to seek the things that are above now. In, in the, in the, in the, in the um, decisions I'm going to be making, change my heart, change my attitude. First of all, I want you to ask you a question. Do you know my Jesus as your Savior? And if you don't, come and see me afterwards. See Pastor Michael. Come, come and, and, and see somebody. And let us show you how you can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Basically, you receive him by confessing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And as you do that, you turn to him and you see the sufficiency that he gave you when he died on your behalf, when he rose from the dead on your behalf, and then receive that free gift of salvation and see what Christ does in your life. Don't let this day be a wasted day. Let this be a day when you've set your heart and your mind on the things of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And I pray that it will, it will speak to us where it needs to. And we are so privileged to be here in this church and to be able to praise you and to lift up our voices. And as we do so, Lord, I pray that you'll guide and direct our attentions to be where it should be. In Jesus' name, amen.